Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful that Petra Buhlmer with us here today, who is the founder of the Mindful Eating Institute in Santa Barbara. She is a master's level psychologist who has helped thousands of clients make positive lifestyle changes. Petra has dedicated herself to empowering clients and taking better care of themselves, both physically and emotionally. Petra's specialty areas are weight management, emotional eating, and self-care. And in her work, she combines cognitive behavioral therapy with mindfulness strategies. Her prescription for wellness is to love yourself deeply, to honor your needs, and not ignore messages from your body. The goal is to set an intention for finding inner peace and treating yourself with love and self-compassion. She's very passionate about teaching a daily practice of self-nurturing and not using food as a mood regulator. Her focus on creating new healthy rituals that are sustainable in everyday life. Pitcher, welcome and thank you so very much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Jesse. And just as a disclaimer, I am not allowed. I recently found that out. I'm not allowed to call myself a psychologist. I'm licensed in Germany, but not here. So for anybody listening, I recently had an issue with that. I'm a counselor with a master's degree in psychology. So with that being said, thank you for the great introduction. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to be shocked to hear this, but I'm shocked living in California. There's not some sort of law that makes life difficult for you to help people. I had a beautiful little ad in the Montecito Journal, and I got a pretty threatening phone call from a um psychologist he was very offended so in any case it's all good i just wanted to clarify that i'm not a licensed psychologist but i have 25 almost 30 years of experience doing what i do so here we are (laughs) yeah it's okay I like your poster, Unlock Your Greatness. I like that a lot. And, yeah, you'll uh, have to, when I, when I host it in Santa Barbara again, whenever we're able to have live events, yes. you'll, have to, you'll have to come. I'll make sure you get a ticket. I'd love to come. Thank it's, you. Yes. It's, it's, it's quite enjoyable. It's it really, it's, of all the things I do, it's definitely my favorite. So, we have similar goals. I don't know your work in detail, but I unlock people's authentic self, which is kind of the same. And um, standing in their own light, speaking their truth, having healthy boundaries, all that good stuff. So, but I'll let you take the lead on, on the conversation. No, let's, let's start there about unlocking yeah. authentic self because it's, it's fascinating. I feel like maybe as recent as five years ago, you've rarely heard people talk about authenticity and authentic. It would be kind of one of these words that you would hear and you'd have to go to the dictionary and look it up. And then all of a sudden in the last couple years, I feel like authenticity is the word. Everyone is looking for authentic or being more authentic or being my most authentic version of herself. Yes. Have you observed that? And why, in your opinion, do you think that authenticity has suddenly become this 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 pursuit that's worth pursuing for most more mm-hmm. i feel um kindness and sharing who we truly are starts with us of course if each if i show up authentically just being real with you with whomever 
I feel it's a gift to the world. Earlier, a friend of mine texted me. She said, hey, would you mind not texting me before seven? I have the buzzer on and then it wake, wakes me up. She spoke her truth from the heart. And then I said, oh, I get it. So it helps me. It makes me feel safe if somebody is authentic and just mm. shows me where their boundaries are, where their pain points are. Uh, what works for them so authenticity really means standing in your own light which i love and being you unapologetically now i wasn't raised that way and my clients weren't raised that way it was never safe to be who you really are so how can you later as an adult have the courage to practice that and, you know, people come to me for weight management issues, but we rarely talk about food and eating because they know what they should be eating. It's more about letting go of the reasons why they reach for food when they're not hungry. And oftentimes people may eat because they're resentful or angry or anxious. And it all comes back to being a gentle warrior. Now that sounds metaphysical and spiritual, but I like that metaphor. A warrior stands firmly on the ground and a gentle warrior has a big heart. So I like this quote, boundaries don't have to be electric fences. So you can speak your truth and say, you know, this isn't working for me, thank you. Or when somebody gets an invitation, we said, oh God, I don't wanna go. Again, example, in my own life, I'm invited to a little gathering on Saturday. And one of the people, I don't like being around her energy at all. It's not good for me. I don't think I'll go. You know, so honoring what feels good to you. And as adults now, we have a choice. It's almost like giving my clients a foster child, their inner child, of course, and how would they help that child to be strong, to be fearless, to be fierce, and also loving? So basically, the work that I do is teaching clients to remother themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. I love what you said, honoring what feels good to you. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating because it seems that the very thing that stands between us honoring what feels good to us is the perception that if we do that, it's going to make someone else feel bad and mm -hmm. therefore it will make us feel bad. How, right. do we, how do we begin to reconcile that for one? And in my experience, when we choose that, it, it's, you know, this is a classic example of the arguments we have with our partners we little things come up that bother us and we don't say anything we stuff it we bury it and then when finally the partner doesn't take the trash can out it's never about taking the trash out it's about all this other stuff that we've been holding on yes. to. so why and what i'm yeah go ahead Sorry. Oh, go for it please go no what i'm finding in relationships when i work with clients i don't do couples counseling but what i'm noticing most couples don't really talk to each other and also at the same time i feel oftentimes there are these little people in adult bodies with their childhood wounds dating each other and then getting 
re-injured and re-wounded over and over again, and then being angry at the partner who is just mirroring what happened to them when they were little. So it takes a lot of inner work to be an adult in a relationship and say, well, when you speak to me in this voice, it reminds me of my mother and it's so hard on me. Would you mind changing the tone? And a mature partner would say, wow, I wasn't aware of that. I'll try my best. Please point it out to me again. And that's mastery. <laughs> that's true mastery, which brings me to a great book. You all have heard probably of the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Well, he also wrote a great book, which is my little Bible called The Mastery of Love. Mm. I highly recommend you read it. It helps you understand what your responsibility is and what love really means. I think it's a beautiful little book. And it addresses all that, letting go of fixing somebody else's perception of who we are. There is a counselor in town, Dr. David Rico. One of his great affirmations is, I let go of the need to correct people's impression of me. And that's big. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't mastered that. You know, I still want, feels good to be liked and get kudos, but it doesn't feel so good when you don't get that. So the inner validation has to come from within us. If you wait for external factors to give you validation while well, you're kind of a victim to that and it's probably not the healthiest way to live why do we put so much responsibility on others to validate ourselves i think it's learned behavior it starts when we're little oh you're a good girl or you're a good boy mm -hmm. and the labeling starts early and um if you're not a good little boy or little girl and you don't get the love or the love gets withdrawn, so what are you learning? I better show up a certain way and for emotional survival. And so I bring a lot of compassion to the counseling process because I understand how hard it is to overcome old patterns that have been running for 20, 30, 40 years. And, and then gently and lovingly rewiring yourself which is really possible and we have so much research about rewiring and um, also intergenerational trauma and there's there's a lot of hope I like your podcast it's called a handful of hope <laughs> that's what I'd like to deliver today is a message for anyone struggling with body image or weight issues that there is hope they don't have to go on another diet and fail. I know I've taught weight loss at Samsung, great program, but many, many clients needed more. Mm -hmm. And if you're an emotional eater, diets will never work. So that's why I started my business. How many people do you feel are emotional eaters? I'm curious because that term gets thrown around a lot and yet, <laughs> And it seems like it's, it's, it's another kind of label that society's thrown out there to, to differentiate this person, that person. Yeah. And it's, it's my observation that most of us are emotional eaters to some capacity. It's just depending yes. on which emotions we're following when we're eating, right? That and is food true. Is, it yeah. becomes problematic if you start leaning on a substance or on food to cope with life. When it becomes an issue, I mean, I, I have 
done emotional eating. Of course, we all do. But if you lean on anything external to numb or take the edge off or to self-soothe, then I would like to put out the invitation to learn other ways. And I'm a ritual lover, Jesse, so I co-created a lot of rituals for my with my clients. And eating or drinking wine, that's also a ritual. It's just maybe not always the preferred way of coping. And just learning to sit with your feelings is a huge step out of emotional eating. And for some, it's painful and very hard to endure, but feelings won't kill us. They're just messengers. Yes. And so my job is as a counselor to help somebody feel safe within that process because it was never safe to be who you really are growing up. And in most cases, 90% of my clients didn't have emotionally nurturing moms, hmm. which is very interesting. And they started worrying about weight at age seven or eight or 10. And I get clients who are 50 or 60. So that's a pretty well-worn path. And it's beautiful to see when somebody experiences the shift that all the shift and I never know, does it happen in three or four months? It's definitely not a quick fix. I'm, Petra, I have a, this is going to be kind of a long combination of a question and thought. So you respond to it with whatever mm -hmm. part of it you resonate or don't resonate with, and I'll just trust where you go with it. <laughs> yes. So what, what, <laughs> take notes. <laughs> yeah, what, something no. that I have found so fascinating in, in here in the United States. So the United States is considered one of the wealthiest land of opportunity, all those kinds of things, right? But we are also, I think, one of the top 10 countries in obesity and rates of depression and rates of suicide. And, and so I find it, I, I find it so curious, both curious and fascinating, I guess, that we have a dynamic where we have basic survival needs met in mass in this country for many of us. It's, I remember in, in psych one learning about the four F's of, of the four F's of survival or the four F's of humanity, the feeding, fighting, fleeing, and the, the, you know, what that rhymes with trucking. <laughs> and, yes. and very and, primal <laughs> yes yes and it was it's fascinating because now all four of those f's are literally swipes away we can pull this up and we can have all those things essentially show up at our door and in so many ways or on our device or whatever that is and so in so doing it seems that with survival needs being met and and i've always been curious where people will go to a foreign country especially a third world one and they come back and say my gosh it's so poor but they're so happy Yes. You know, where is the breakdown? Yes. And so it seems there's this correlation, right? As survival needs are met, then we are pursuant more of needs of consciousness or evolution of consciousness, whatever that is. And in so doing, we arrive at these, these crossroads where now I'm not having to worry about, will I have shelter? Will I have food? Will I be able to reproduce? So now I can, but I'm still have this biological condition of worry and safety, right? Fight or flight. So now I start to worry about maybe what somebody thinks of me or if mm -hmm. my clothes I'm wearing are the right thing. So this is, this is kind of, I'm, I'm building up to the question piece of this here. Mm -hmm. 
so I, I'm observing that, but then I, what I'm also observing is a societal almost tidal wave of where we have, gosh, and I hate the term, but just for a lack of better term, and if you have a softer, more kinder term, please correct it, is, is it's almost like a, a victim empowerment culture where it's, it's kind of like, you can't control what happened. You can't control this. You can't control that. You can't control that. And, and I don't know if there's the conspiracy theory means says, well, we have so many pills that we pop now for it. It's very profitable for companies to put out messaging that we can't control this because it just helps us to medicate more. So my long winded roundabout question to you is this, have you found in, because you've had such an extensive career that current maybe cultural societal conditions that we're in, it's, it's people are finding themselves more challenged in their ability to overcome and move beyond the things that they are, they're struggling and stuck with because there are so many more beliefs maybe pushed out there that it's something that they aren't able to change because mm -hmm. of all these external circumstances? It, those are very good thoughts and questions. And what comes up for me right away is I want to talk about my upbringing in Germany and how Germans deal work, with work-life balance. I want to came up when you were talking is like, um, What's lacking is, and not, I'm not religious, but what's lacking is maybe a stronger connection to source. Mm. Then I also want to address the, the gift of having these iPhones, but the curse of getting addicted to this and people having an attention span of like TikTok, what is that, 90 seconds? <laughs> I, I have to admit, I am losing my ability to read a book because of all that. And really? I was a reader, yes. So I'm not, um, what's the word? I'm not untouched. But a big question in my work, and also maybe which helps answer your question is, if people start asking themselves, what is my heart hungry for? and really explore that. The heart knows the way. And I feel people are now, yes, we're not necessarily starving. We have clean water, we have a, a house. And it's almost grasping at other things that stimulate us and making life more and more complicated. That's why people in poor countries are so much more content with a simple life. You know, this is probably how we would all, f if we went um, trekking or building a tent and sitting by a fire and having a bowl of soup, it's like it would bring the nervous system down. So I feel the overstimulation combined with, is it satiety where you're just so full and there's too much of everything. What really matters, like storytelling, mm. sitting in a circle, something that soothes the soul. I feel reconnecting with our spirit and our soul would be so helpful. 
And if somebody is a Christian, use that. If you're a Buddhist, do that. Whatever ritual brings you back to source and your own heart and making time for that is so important. I see you out in nature a lot. I love that you posted after the riots in the Capitol. You said, go out in nature, turn off the TV. Yes, absolutely. Don't get pulled in. We need to unplug regularly to be with our selves. And I recently moved to a little cottage on the Riviera and I'm watching some cute birds almost falling off the branches or my hummingbirds coming to the feeder. And honestly, those are moments of pure joy. Yeah. So this whole, the problematic behavior of working too much, wanting too much, could be remedied by living more in the moment. And why is that so difficult? It is the most difficult thing to do, being present right now. And cultivating that would be the medicine, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. And then quick, quickly to German, Germans work super hard, super efficient, but damn, they treasure and defend their downtime. They know how to balance work and life. When I worked in Germany, I was in human resources. We all had six weeks paid vacation. We had in, on, in May and November, we got a double salary. It was just, we were very well taken care of. Now I left all that behind and I'm now in the rat race and have to be careful. I don't want to be that kind of hamster. You know, I want to be a hamster that jumps off regularly and says, you know, this, I can be there. I can activate that, but coming really consciously unplugging is key. You know, it's interesting you made a comment about the the nature one after the like stuff happened at Capitol. I received an email from someone and they said, you know, Jesse, I, I really enjoy a lot of what you post on social media. And I'm really curious mm-hmm. about this whole turning off the news thing. Yes. They were saying, how, how am I supposed to be aware of, or how is one supposed to be aware of injustices and inequities if you don't watch the news? Mm-hmm. And I wrote him back and said, you know, I really appreciate the question. And in my observation, in the modern day, there's kind of two folks who watch, two types of people who watch the news. There's type one who watches it because they want to be aware of injustices and inequities and they want inequalities and they want to do something about it. And there's type two because they are unhappy or they're existing in some level of dysfunction in their own life. And the news gives them a reprieve and they have someone, someone and something else to yell at. If you're type one and you're wanting to figure out recognizing qualities and injustices in the world and want to do something about it, probably should take no more than three to five minutes of turning on the news because they're not shy about showing you how effed up parts of the world are. And you then, have to be very selective to protect. Yeah. I have to be so careful because I'm an intuitive empath and I get so affected by what I witness. I have to be very selective and then I feel it's time to, again, stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's it's an interesting dynamic because it seems that right human emotion in many ways is so formulaic. We know that we can, if we provide an appropriate stimulus, we can do some appropriate response. It's lab tested at this point. Yes. And, and I think big media in many ways has mastered that 
And what of are the, course. Right? What are the colors? What are the imaging? What is the sounds? What is everything that we need to do to get the most emotional reaction from people? And and I love how you use satiety. I've always struggled with that word. I don't know how to say it. But yeah, yes. but I love that you used it in in a context outside of food because it's often food, but it's so relevant to the the truth that we are so overly stuffed right now with information and media and emotion that it's almost like it's it's like we're walking around with a cup and i, I don't know yes. about you but i, I have i have this what <laughs> i'll call it one of my isms one of my isms is i hate filling cups up to the t really full because then if i have to carry it someplace i'm terrified it's going to spill so i will routinely fill it up only you know three quarters of a way and make the extra trip back rather than throw it up full way because I don't want to spill anything. Yeah. And I feel like we're all walking with our cup overflowing, trying to balance it, watching it and silently cursing under our breath because everything it's, it's so full we're spilling over. Well, um, I like you post regularly about gratitude, right? Starting your day, I started doing this again every morning. What am I grateful for? could be my warm bed, my cup of tea, my coffee, whatever. Then secondly, set your intention for the day. May I be kind to myself and others, let's say. Thirdly, how can I be of service today? Hmm. And we know happiness research has proven if we do nice things for others, it shifts our well-being. And I also think occasionally or regularly is to ask yourself in the morning, in the shower, what is the kindest thing I can do for myself today? Mm. And maybe it is to not watch the news, to not engage in anything that's toxic. And the kindest thing could be, well, maybe today I want that burger with fries without guilt. Or the kindest thing is, no, today I'm going to make green juices. In my work, there is no black or white. You know, you, you want to learn to become an intuitive eater. Intuitive eating is just a tiny thing under the umbrella of mindful living, being in tune with your needs, with your emotions, with also with your values. Now, if you, I was in a job once where I withered away and I got more and more depressed and my German friends refer to it as the deprivation experiment. Let's see how long she lasts. And I finally just quit that job and started my own business. And it took a lot of courage to do that. So um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, these are just little nuggets of wisdom that I throw out that I use in my work, depending on a client. We're all unique beings, but the needs are universal. Being seen, being heard, feeling loved, being safe, and most importantly, feeling connected. I really miss in-person meetings, hugging people right now. So that's a huge loss for me. But we still have this, you know, rather than, oh, I don't have this. We can say, my God, I'm grateful for Zoom. Yeah. What a, you know, so both feelings can live, the feeling of loss and sadness, and you can celebrate what we still have every day, right? So I'm not saying, oh, we need to be in a constant state of bliss. That's completely unrealistic. But um, 
gratitude is a big deal and you practice it and you teach it, which is great. I appreciate you bringing up gratitude. I was sharing with you before we spoke, I was on a Zoom call with somebody from Mongolia and oh. <laughs> it occurred to me as we were, there were some internet difficulties getting things going and I had that voice going, oh, this internet is horrible, this sucks, I'm gonna be late to my next call. Right. Hate being late. I'm so overly anal about it. <laughs> and all these voices come up. And then there's this other voice going, Jesse, you're talking with somebody via video in Mongolia yeah. in the middle of a pandemic. Like, how freaking cool is that? Exactly. Right? And then I start thinking, yes. yeah, that's really, really And cool. you gave me the heads up. We were good, you know, but I know those voices. And God, I, you know, Cognitive restructuring is talking to ourselves differently, label our thinking and replacing whatever negative thought is running with a beneficial thought. I use that strategy, cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness-based strategies. Now, what is mindfulness? How would you define mindfulness? I feel like when I'm the most mindful is when I am the most in the moment yes, and, and able to have, so I, I guess there'd be two pieces of mindfulness for me in a way. It's when I'm most in the moment. And then it's also when I'm most, I guess this would also be in the moment, but most open to engaging in a dialogue yes, with what thoughts come up as opposed to just a thought mm. comes up and I take it as the gospel. Right. Right. Where And when I'm not being mindful is where the thought comes up and I immediately have the emotional reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And then I take that emotion and that combination of thought and emotion, I make it into my gospel for the next however many moments. <laughs> yes. And you know what's good information for us? If we have a very strong disproportionate reaction to an event it's highly likely that that's a very old wound that got triggered hmm. where it goes so fast and the wiring is right there and you don't have a chance to relabel it it's like holy cow then and now comes a very important piece of my message of today is mindful self-compassion there is a researcher named Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F, and her uh, partner, Christian Germer, G-E-R-M-E-R. -E and they have, um, they have a model called mindful self-compassion. We know mindfulness and John Kabat-Zinn for pain management. But these two researchers are my heroes. And you can Google them, mindful self-compassion. They teach you very basic little things. Let's say I have you recall a painful moment from the last week. And then I would have you close your eyes, put both of your hands over your heart and wish yourself well and say to yourself, may I be kind to myself in this moment. This is a moment of suffering. And I really feel for any emotional eater, anybody abusing alcohol or other substances, of course, go to your treatment programs, but I hope that these people can also incorporate um, being 
more compassionate with themselves as if mm. they, they were soothing a small child. Because we're so good at being kind to kids. Would we say, have another drink, get over it? Or would we say, oh, honey, come here. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll help you. You know, what can we do? Yeah. So the inner child is an overused term in psychology, but I still love it. I use it in my work because the little one is still alive in us and needs us. Of course, it's a metaphor. So, yeah. Before I ask my final question, where can people yes. find and connect with you online? Yes, it's the mindfuleatinginstitute.net. Mindfuleatinginstitute.net, long word. Or I think Petra Bumer should come up too, but just Google Mindful Eating Institute and Santa Barbara and I pop right up. <laughs> Very good. We have about 30 seconds or less yes. left. And so in 30 seconds, I know that Eating, substance abuse, those types of things have been at highs this last year through the pandemic. Yeah. And, I, and I do believe that there's people that are aware of it and they're wanting to do some work on self with it. What might be one act of self-compassion that somebody could perform for themselves today? Practice a mindful pause before reaching for a glass of wine or food and just sit with that feeling of I have an urge and then gently put both hands over your heart and say, honey, what's going on? Are you anxious? Are you scared? Are you stressed? And just breathe into that and just wish yourself well for a minute or two. That would be my yeah, that would be a gift to whoever. And um, I do offer free consultations, complimentary consultations to see if a client and I are a good match. So Jesse, it was a pleasure. Yeah. I think I want to talk with you some more, some other time. We'll do, and, yeah. we'll do a part two of this. And I encourage everybody to rewatch yeah. and re-listen because Petra really just took us on such a beautiful journey of unlock, unlocking your authentic self and identifying what authenticity is and making that distinction about really, you know, looking after ourselves and doing what feels good for us first and talking about yes. some of the dynamics that might inhibit us from doing that. I love that we had the conversation on self-compassion and what a beautiful gesture and question to ask yourself, honey, are you okay, honey? What's going on? Like having that dialogue and then being willing to put your hand on your heart. You know, I love that she acknowledged too. We hear that, that wounded child, inner child all the time. And it is so true. I remember, and I'll just share this with you very quickly, Petra. One of the most beautiful conversations I had with my mom last year was over text. Uh -huh. And she was saying something about that frustrated her. And I just told her, I said, you know, we're all just wounded kids. And I remember my mom paused, she thought, and she's like, wow. And she got it. She felt it. And it's, it's something during this whole crazy last year we've had. Yeah. And when we're finger pointing and blaming and angry at one another, it's really such a beautiful reminder to look and see that there's a wounded child across there from there. And just the same as when you were a little yes. kid, it probably didn't make them feel very good, nor did it feel very good for you to be alienated and name called and ostracized. It's probably not going to do very well for them too, and there's yeah. a 
an incredible amount of healing and growth probably we could all do if we, we learn to nurture those wounded children of one another instead of further hurt them. Yes. Well, you are a young, you're young um, in years, but you're an old soul, Jesse. Thank I you. Tell. And let's, <laughs> we'll definitely do a part two of this. And Great. we're both in Santa Barbara when we're, we're allowed to hug again, yeah. we'll have to get together for a hug. I would love to. <laughs> have a beautiful day. Take Thank care. You. Thank you. Everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to